We begin this morning in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. As we begin the beautiful, wonderful task of going through the wonderland of God's words, starting right with the beginning of the book. All right. It should be easy to find, even if you're brand new to the Bible, unless you have like one of those study Bibles where the first 300 pages is maps and such. It's a pretty good possibility that what you have then is um, the book book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, Genesis means beginning for what it's worth. Uh, In the Hebrew, the word is barashit. Um, That's not said weird. The word barashit is the first word actually in the Hebrew. It's actually barashit, bara, alechim. And we'll look actually at a couple of verses even in the Hebrew and I'll let you guys kind of have some fun and we'll kind of go back and forth with that today. So let's go right to prayer. Lord, I just pray that this would be the most fun, the most educational, the most personal, and the most real time we've ever, ever, ever had opening up this beautiful book in your book of Genesis. We pray, Lord, as you begin to teach us and lay a foundation, may our hearts be open to everything you want to say. So God, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and do your work this morning, I pray. Lord, don't let me say anything amiss. Lord, don't let me say anything but what you wish to be said this morning. So I pray, God, that you take my lips and attach them to your heart. And in that, God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive everything you've ordained for us to hear this morning. I guess it's this afternoon now, isn't it, Lord? With that said, Lord, we pray that you would just take this time now and glorify yourself in it. We commit it to you, Lord. And if there be any who have yet to know you, let this be the morning or afternoon of their salvation. We commit every second of this. Redeem every second, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say this afternoon... Uh, like I would any time, please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, let the Bible always have the final say. Now here's the problem in this book. When we start into a book like this, we're going to do one of two things. We're either going to derive or we're going to contrive. Now, scripturally, the God always tells us to derive. In other words, we take the information without prejudice, without some form of preconceived additives, and we try to derive exactly what God intended. And that is almost impossible in this first chapter. And the reason is we've been inundated with so much argument and people with pipes and degrees and letters before their names and TV shows. And, and books and all kinds of things and, and every one of them is an expert and yet none of them can seem to agree and what would it be like if we were just people just normal people that opened up this book without any mention or forethought or pre-training and we went right into this book what would we gather from this book? Because when we start to do that, we start to realize that some of the things that have been built up and just sort of established, I mean, even among what's called contemporary Christendom, that because we already have our ideas, we're trying to find everything that sort of meets it, we may not actually read what the Bible actually says in these texts. Now, I'm not here to build any form of bizarre new thing. The whole idea is quite simple. Let's just look at it as if we hadn't built walls and these things and libraries on this argument and that argument and this TV show and that forth. And this is where we start. The first verse of the first book of this beautiful Bible tells us Barashit, Baralechim, Atrashamim, Ve'ot Radetz. In the beginning. Now, immediately you're already drawing conclusions, like it or not. The conclusions are the beginning of what? You might say, well, the beginning of the world. 
Well, that might be safe because it tells us here that God created these things in that beginning point. Okay? The beginning of all creation. Really, is that what it says? Now, it's important to note, approaching it from a Hebraic standpoint, one thing I do know. God has this beautiful habit of laying out an epilogue, like a thesis statement, if you're familiar with the concept, where he lays out a basic overview and then approaches the object of importance in it. And he does this throughout this entire book, and this is where it's going to begin. God is going to lay out this beautiful menagerie, and as he lays out this menagerie, it just and just think of it this way. You're watching the beginning of a movie, because we're in the 21st century. This at least allows us this concept. And what you're, you're looking at a movie, and again, from the beginning, we see these wide pan angles, and with these wide pan angles, we see all of this information, and this information, the thing starts to zoom in, the camera starts to zoom in, and as the camera starts to zoom in, and the camera starts to zoom in, less things become clear, and one thing becomes more clear, because all of a sudden, we're, at first, our mind is gathering all this information as if it's going to be important, and it is, it'll all play into the story somewhere, but sooner or later, the camera's going to lock somewhere. And where that camera locks, we kind of get the idea in our head, hmm, Movie's kind of going to be about that. Well, why don't we do that here? Because God is the most perfect author is exactly doing that. Now, understand, chapter 1 is our zoom-in epilogue. Basic concept, let's get, if we could get past the first verse of Scripture, all the rest should be easy. And that is that God is creator, and He created the heaven and the earth. Now, if we could get that through our head, then He can tweak, manipulate, intervene, interpose any way He wants to. He made it, it's His thing, and because it's His thing, He can do what He wants. And if that be the case, then there's a kind of this fun concept in all of this that really stopping time, intervening, splitting water, raising the dead. Well, those things aren't so difficult if we get to the first point that God created the heaven and the earth. And that means these things are his creation. And if they're his creation, he has the ability to manipulate them and change them and shape them as he wants to. And that becomes part of the fun of this. Now, in the beginning, God creates this. We're going to get through six days of creation, God willing, today. And in all of that, he's going to, again, take this broad pan. And as he takes this broad pan, he's going to come in focus and focus and focus and focus. And boom, we're going to get to the thing that's actually the point of this whole book. Listen, the point of this whole book. And you realize, if we took what God told us to focus on as our primary focal point, things wouldn't be so tough for us. Classic example is the book of Revelation. I won't go there for long, but keep this in mind. The first verse of the book tells us, first of all, please don't come to this church and call it the book of Revelations. Already, we're going to have trouble. It's the book of Revelation, and it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the thing I'm going to look for. And every time I look for Jesus through the entire book of Revelation, the rest of the book gets easy on me. Well, there's weird things, and there are weird things because I haven't seen them before. Anything is weird, but we live near Camden. What's that like? There's all kinds of things that are weird just because I just don't see them every day. Now they're becoming more normal. I mean, imagine what it's like. We show up, and there's these guys with eyes all over their heads, and they look and go... Oh, you only got two? How do you see behind yourself? I mean, how weird would we look to them? And the whole point is, it's only weird because you haven't seen it. Now, in this, the focal point is going to be what he gets to at the end, and then he's going to develop that entire thing in chapter 2 from the rest of the point. And the whole point is that everything before that point leads up to it, just like we would as if we were looking at a blank stage, and it was black. And as the stage is black, all of a sudden, one spotlight comes on. 
And as we see the one spotlight come on, we'll see someone doing things. And as we see that spotlight of this person doing things, we're going to start to see there's a plurality to this individual. And as we see a plurality to this individual, we'll start to see part of the scene, and a part of the scene, and a part of the stage, and a part of the stage. And what we're looking at is props. What we're looking at is backdrop. What we're looking at is kind of a feel for the place with the colors and so forth. And then, boom, here comes this thing in the middle. And now the action begins. And the action begins with this. Thing, because this is not just the beginning of everything God made. It doesn't even tell us that. It tells us this is the beginning of something. The question is, what is it the beginning of? And to be honest, one thing I can say as I read this book as objectively as I can is this is the beginning of the greatest love story that will ever exist in eternity. The greatest love story. And everything else becomes secondary and orbital and not the center of the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, verse 2. For what it's worth, the word for create, barach, barach means in essence to make out of nothing. There's a big difference between to bring something about that didn't appear before, didn't seem to exist, versus to shape and mold. We'll get that in chapter 2 when God forms man. There's the idea of a person shaping like a potter would on clay. This, on the other hand, is a little different from that. What we have here is the idea of God pulling something out of nothing. And that's going to be key when we get to verse 2. Because in verse 2 we read that the earth was out without form and void. Now, if we're approaching a scientific world where everything sort of has to make sense, this becomes a, well, to be honest, you can't get past this verse. Because you have two things, philosophically. You have something that appears to exist, and then you have basically that it appears to not exist, all in the same verse. Because it says, the earth. And the word for earth, whatever it's, aretz, is the word that just means land or place. Was, and we have these two t- particular terms. The first term, for what it's worth, tachar, tachu, and the other term then is bachi. Now, the earth... This thing, as we would know it, this place that we know it, this place that we live at right now, that we could stand on, and we know it holds us up. Well, this particular place was, according to these two verses, or these two words, one is that it was an empty place. That means it was absent of. And the second thing is that it was completely void or vacuous. Now, put those two things together. In its simplest sense, consider a storyteller that's sitting down on the stage... And the light flashes so many says, let me tell you how it happened. In the beginning, God made... And it doesn't, notice it doesn't say in the beginning, God made everything here. Though God will be the creator of all things. That will be very evident. But in the beginning, God created some stuff. The heavens and the earth. That earth that you know it, was nothing. Didn't exist the way that you know it. Now, there are some that will say, well, let's just kind of create some crazy ideas. Like there were a bunch of molecules floating in space. Or they were all collected as a pea. And God went... And then the whole thing blew up, and then it blew up into this beautiful menagerie that we see around us. This beautiful mobile of of galaxies and and universes and and planets and things as if God kind of somehow... But then you have this problem, and you have to deal with the fact that all this matter existed before God did this. And that ruins the whole first verse. I got past the first verse that said God made it out of nothing. So, okay, God made it out of nothing, and that earth that you know didn't exist. That's what it's saying. That earth was nothing. It was a vacuum back then. It wasn't a place that God assembled parts. It wasn't like God was looking at a bunch of atoms and he's like, hmm, let's see if I could just stick these together. We don't have any of that. What we have is the earth as we know it just wasn't. 
That's the point of it. It was a vacuum. It was nothing. And then it says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, darkness. We're well aware of what darkness is, but the deep here is a very important word. Tachum. And the word in the simplest sense means abyss. Nothingness. Now put all of that together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But let me tell you what it was like before he created those things. It was a big, dark, vacuous, empty place. That's what it was. In other words, what God just did in our first two verses is, well, and we haven't gotten past the entire second verse yet, is he set the scene for us. God says, picture, if you will, what it was like when I was creating. It was a big, blank, empty stage. That's what it was. Big, blank, empty stage. None of this, well, there was some stuff, and it existed, and, and then God took this gap period of time. He went on a holiday, and then he came back, and he kind of maybe assembled some here, whatever. What we read is nothing. There was nothing. I mean, and, and he uses three different words here that basically let you know how much more empty can you get than this. There's empty, there's void, and there's nothingness, abyss. How much more do you need? And what's amazing is how many people go, well, really, I kind of think there was kind of something. I goes, there was nothing. There was no more words left to use. I used like, there was nothing, it was empty, it was vacuous, it was empty, it was void. Do you get the point? And it's amazing how many, where's the best part? The guys who have the biggest problem with this appear to be the smartest. Don't you find that ironic? I mean, if I were to tell my seven-year-old, hey, by the way, before God created everything, it was empty, it was a big blank expanse of nothingness. I don't think she's going to go, hmm, I wonder how much stuff was in the nothingness. I mean, nothingness by, by virtue of what it says is it was nothing there. And, what's, and here's the part of it that I start to work with. is There's a part of my mind that starts to conclude, God seems to work really good with nothing. Which, by the way, is a really cool premise to start with. Because part of all of this, it's natural for me and to you to try to link this all to yourself and say, well, how does this apply to me? I mean, here I am. God didn't have to tell me how he created everything. I mean, other people are talking about how the whole thing came to be being riding on the back of a tortoise or carried on the arms of a giant guy or whatever. And God says, no, 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 I made it. And I made it out of nothing. And I think that if God were to listen and he were to listen to the guy talking about it being on the back of a tortoise or to be on the arms of a guy or that it came out of a giant pea, they would all look like the big, the same thing to him. Fairy tales. And we go, but wait a minute, but the scientists, well, the scientists, nobody was there when this happened, but God, who's the expert in this? But the scientists, they've looked at layers of rock, and they've decided in all of their brilliance and all, do you really think that the brilliance of any human being could compare to the one who invented this place in the first place? And God goes, let me just make it really clear. I started with nothing, and nothing was just good enough for me. And then I think, well, what do I have to offer God? I mean, ultimately, I know that I'm going to get into this book, and in this book, it's going to tell me that God wants to make me something brand new, and I want to give him what I am so that God can take it and make it something beautiful. And I'm already trying to figure this out, and God says, look it, I started with nothing, and I made all this really cool stuff. I could take your nothing and do the same. It's good enough for me. The biggest problem is actually when I start to think I have a lot to offer God, is if God, what I need is a little remodel. Things are pretty good, but I'm not real fond of this part of my life or this part of my life. And God goes, look, until you're really willing to lay down your nothingness, you're going to have a real hard time with the way that I do things. And I haven't gotten past the second verse of Scripture, because then I have something really odd here. Look at this verse with me. And again, I would read all the Hebrew, but any of you fluent Hebrew speakers? Good. So then in other words, I might as well just be going, yep, 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 
I mean, it doesn't really matter to you, but I mean, I just want to leave you in another. I've done my homework. The Spirit of God, we read. Now, wait a minute. Now, God is identified in a second character here. Um, up to this point, by the way, 22 different times you're going to find in the first chapter alone this term, Elohim. Elohim is the word that we use for God. For what it's worth, I am at the end of something. Im is plural. Cherub is one. Cherubim is two or more. Goy, which is a stranger or a Gentile. Goy is one. Goyim is more than one. That's the idea. Elohim. Well, that's a little odd. The way that God is even introduced in Scripture is in the plural. Well, I don't have a problem with that. But let's just say I didn't come in with a whole bunch of knowledge. Oh, here we go. So, hmm. In the beginning, this God that's mentioned in all of the sort of, uh, sort of pertinent antecedents, all the things that hinge on this are all in singular, but this guy's mentioned in the plural. And that's a cool mystery. And God has this beautiful way of laying out these mysteries so that as we continue to read on in Scripture, we're like, oh, now that makes sense. I didn't get it back there. Now hear me out. As you start to read Scripture, if you go like, I just read all of these verses and I get everything out of it, maybe you didn't get what God intended. Because in all of Scripture, when you start to read it, Jesus will ultimately say, you search the Scriptures thinking, by them you possess eternal life. But these are the ones that testify of me. Somehow in all of this, every road, every Scripture is going to all pull into the same driveway. And that's the driveway of Jesus Christ, the cross. And I start to look at this, and God has this beautiful way of kind of going, hmm, there's something missing in this. I don't get it yet. And God goes, good, because it's the first chapter. If you got it all now, you wouldn't read the rest of the book. By the time you get to the end of the book, you kind of go with, wow, we win, we live with them, it's awesome. Well, then there's a lot of stuff in between. And God says, so let's start with some questions. And here's the first one. How can you be plural and singular at the same time? And again, without any other preconceived notion or idea, we just kind of go, that's a real strange thing. It doesn't fit into my math. And God goes, good, we're on the same page now. Now, the Spirit of God, and I start going, okay, so there's a God mentioned as Elohim, and then there's the Spirit of Elohim, again, plural, and this particular Spirit, and He's doing something really strange. He's hovering, or fluttering, or vibrating, or shaking, or moving, is the idea, over something. Did you notice this? It says, over the face, penim, word for face, of the waters. Now, I already have two really odd things to try to reconcile. And again, without all of these other guys with doctrines and degrees and so forth, because if God had it so that only those guys could explain it, wouldn't that be unfair to the rest of us dolts out there just trying to read the book in the first case? Because what happens then is we kind of go and go, I don't know if I could actually read this, because those experts, have, I would never have come up with that conclusion. And God goes, that should be your first clue. There's a problem. And I look at this and I start going, wait a minute. God really hasn't created anything yet. At least, as he mentions, and yet there's waters. Have you noticed that? That's a bit of a strange thing. Now, did water exist before this point? Or were water something else that God just didn't mention? And all kinds of people try to fill in all kinds of crazy gaps. Like, well, there was going to be an Adam, and there was this first chick named Lilith. You won't find her in Scripture anywhere. Whoever came up with this idea should be selling all kinds of stuff, because the idea is that basically we want to put an uppity chick in the beginning of this that God had a problem with because she was uppity, and he kicked her out, and he started over with this Eve girl, who, by the way, didn't tend to be any much better. And you start to go, how come I don't find it in Scripture? God goes, hello, because it's not there for a purpose, because it's not there. Nor are unicorns. Thank you very much. Sorry. Or the Easter Bunny. Now, get this with me. Well, what if God put this in there with the idea, okay, so wait a minute. Something's existing before God's creating. Well, that tells me something. If that is the case, as he lists it here, then this must not be focusing on God creating everything. 
Because if it was focusing on God creating everything, as if that was the fundament, well then what would happen is the beginning would start with, in the beginning God created everything, which we'll learn later in Scripture, but, and here's how we started beginning creating everything. But if we're looking at this, and I'm starting to see, well, water seed if somewhat exists, and people have all kinds of really weird and wacky and fun ideas about this, well, maybe the whole idea is simply that God is obviously this beginning, isn't it, but the beginning of God creating everything. That's not the focal point. That's the idea here. If it was the focal point, I wouldn't be left with this question right here by verse 2. I mean, after all, if God, if this is, in the beginning, God created everything, let me show you how we started creating stuff. Here's some matter, here's some matter, here's light, and that's got bizarre properties. It's got properties of matter, but is it really matter? And then there are these other things we'll find out later don't really seem to matter. That, uh, and, you know, you, you kind of get in this, and I go, well, wait a minute. If the Spirit of God is hovering and he's moving over the face of the waters, I start getting the idea that something exciting is going to happen. In the beginning, there's this God, and the Spirit starts to move, and God's word will go forth. There will be illumination, and ultimately there'll be life. Let me say that again. In the beginning, there's a God, and this God, his Spirit starts to move, his word goes forth, there's illumination, and then there's life. I think, okay, well, that's a cool pattern for me to start to dive on, dive on in time. Here, the Spirit of God is hovering over this thing, and I start to get the idea something's going to start happening. Verse 3. Then God said... Now he said, here you go, ready? Two words. Hiya! You try it. You guys cannot say Hebrew like you're a bunch of, like, half-wit, whatever. Hiya! That's good. Hiya! And then, ur. So, hiya! Ur! Your turn. Okay, guess what? You just said what God said. And it says, this is the way it says it in Scripture. That God spoke it and it says, Haya or ve haya or. Now, in other words, God said, be light and be light. Or, be light and was light. That's the idea. Now, here's the, now get this, ready? God is working. And God is working in such a way that we're going to try to fit all of our ideas and concepts. And then we'll say, well, maybe, maybe this took billions and billions and millions of years. Listen. Hiya or Now, let's just say it didn't take a second. But let's just say it took 10 seconds. Ready? I'm going to have you say, Hiya or to fill up 10 seconds. Here we go. Ready? Your marks get set. Go. And there you go. That was ten seconds. It was just ten seconds. Now the scripture says that God spoke it, and boom, it was. That's it. Now, I'm not trying to get anyone else's expert opinion on something that looked at dead things that he didn't even, weren't even alive when he was alive, that somehow in it he couldn't even interview and all of this, and he found it in rock and all kinds of things, and we won't look at this evidence, but this evidence is more you know, conclusive and, and conducive for what I'm thinking, and these are my ideas. This is what Scripture said. God said, Hayaor, and Hayaor, there we go. Now, imagine if that took millions and millions of years. I mean, how long before you're like, what is he saying again? How long? To me, that's its own miracle. And God goes, just in case you really lost interest somewhere in a hundred billion years or whatever, this is what I said. Did you get it? 
Light B. And light bulb, likewise. Boom. Wait a minute, why that? I really do think that we'll spend the rest of this time on earth, scientists will discover things and go, whoa, he was kind of right about this. Light. Light is conducive for all life. Light must be there first before life exists. Wow, that's brilliant. And God goes, thank you very much. And they're like, we don't want to give you credit for God. because I made it. It's right here in Scripture. You haven't even gotten verse 2. Here I am hovering over the waters in verse 3. I say, I, I was. And I started thinking, wow. Then there's something really strange in all this. The word let. 15 times in the first chapter, the word let is that somehow there's a creation in his mind that's bursting forth and he just wants to let it out. It's like, excuse me, please, can we go out? Can we come out? And there's this, I'm going to get this idea of this super awesome creative God that's got in his heart pounding. And the Spirit of the Lord's going, can't we come out? Let's do it. And God goes, okay, 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 light. All right, let's wait another 100 million years and I'll get to the next thing. How sad, because you get the whole idea. Everything in the tone of this is this excitement. Strange enough, Job will actually say, if we believe Job as far as what he's understanding, and this is the angels were singing, where how all of some, some of this is being created. I think God even likes to work with music. And I think, how fun is this? There's this, you know, this crescendo and big things are happening, and the symbols are. God goes, Okay, let's just take a look at it. In another hundred million years. And it says here that God saw the light and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Divided it. And God called the light day, he called the dark night. And it was evening and morning on the first day. No, don't miss this. People go, Well, you know, it tells us that, you know, some God, it tells us, isn't there somewhere in scripture it says that for the Lord a day is like a thousand years? Oh, a thousand, million, hundred million, what's the difference? And, you know, it's just well wait a minute, how come nobody ever tends to think that the millennial reign's gonna be a day long? Well, I think it's a thousand years. It's because it's a thousand years. Well, well, wait a minute here. That's your way of squeezing somebody who's who hates God and his concepts into your doctrine? But if I read this for what it says, it tells us there was night, and then there was day. I mean, how much more? What else does God have to say to say there was a day long? There was evening. There was morning. Boom. How long is that for you? I was like, well, wait a minute. There's a problem here. There's no sun. There's no moon. There's no earth rotating. Oh, wait a minute. As if somehow God didn't need all of those things to make a day and a night. So if that be the case, well, what did God really make on the first day? I think about what God really invented on the first day was time. Did you get that? And what's interesting is how God invented time. God invented time by darkness coming to light. Notice he didn't even say there was morning and then evening. He said there was evening and then morning. It's darkness that comes to light. And God says, now that's, I'm going to gauge all time by this. Darkness and to light. Separate things, separate things. I'm separating and I'm going to say, this is good. The reason it's good is because darkness is going to become light. And I start thinking, wow. First Peter 2.9 where it says that we are now a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation. His own special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of the darkness into his glorious light. And I start thinking, it's time. When Jesus talks about his one moment, the hour, and he says, now is the time for darkness. But it won't be for long. The night is far spent. Is that what you tell us? And the time now 
is to be sober and awake and watchful more than ever before because the night is far spent and the morning approaches. John says in 1 John, this is how I know the Lord has translated you because the darkness is already passing and the light's already shining because there was evening and then there was morning and we're calling it day one. And I'm going to make a time, and all time's going to be gauged by light and darkness. It's going to be that simple. Your seasons will be gauged by light and darkness. All of time will be gauged by light and darkness. Or should I say darkness to light? First day, God says, let's make time because everything's got specific appointments. And I can't have, I'm not going to be late to any of my appointments. We better set up time so you know when I'm going to be there. Imagine if God just said, well, somewhere later, because we really haven't invented time, a Messiah is going to come. Uh, don't worry about any Daniel text about specific days. And Well, God says, actually, if we set up time, I can make it very, very clear that I'm God and I have total control of time. And I'm going to put Jesus exactly where I promised he would be. Watch for him on this specific day. Do your math. And it happens just like that. So time is going to be the first issue. Okay, day two. And by the way, I won't develop all of these as much because... My brain's already ready to explode with excitement and joy. Verse two. Okay. For what it's worth, darkness is mentioned 141 verses in Scripture, but light is 226. And I think that there's a cool point in that. He's like, yeah, 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 darkness. It's real. It's a reality. You don't want to be there. Hell, by the way, a place of eternal darkness, don't be there. I already separated that from light. I did that on the first day. Just do yourself a favor. No longer be darkness. Be translated. Become light. Verse 6, then God said, and notice, by the way, well, we'll see in verse, and most of our days, as God said, God saw it was good. In some days, they'll even say, God said, which is his way of creating, and then it'll say, and then God separated. And then as God separated, he saw, and he saw it was good. Verse 6, it tells us, now God said, let there be a firmament. Now, a firmament, for what it's worth. Now, we have a note, a note to me, a vakuot, a vakuot. Uh, and the idea of this is simply an expanse. It's a space. So let there be some kind of space. Some space between what? Look at what it says. Let there be a space, an expanse, in the midst of the waters. So we'll divide water from water. So wait a minute. This space, it tells us in verse 7, God made the firmament. He divided the waters, which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called this firmament heaven. 504 times, or 504 verses, heaven is mentioned. It's very important to God. As a matter of fact, God will say in Isaiah 66, heaven's my throne, it's where I live. So wait a minute, let's get this right. There's water, some big body of water, and God says, let's put some space in between it so there's going to be water in one place and water in another. And that place is, I'm going to call the Shemim, or heaven. And that place, by the way, I'm going to live there. That's where I'm going to stay. Now, we granted we live in what's called a post-alluvial state, which means we live after the flood, where things have radically altered. But what if that were today? There's only two places where we can find water. And this is something that really is a bit mind-blowing for me. And again, I'm trying not to walk into this with a bunch of different conceived, preconceived ideas. What if it were today? Well, the two places where I know water is here on earth and there in the clouds. That's it. I mean, we're still on a hunt for water. And, the, and God, I just think, is having fun with this. Because if they found water on Mars, they would be convinced there would be Martians. You're aware of that. Because they think water is fundamental for life as well. Hmm. God didn't have a problem putting that into Scripture as well. Light and water are kind of fundamental to keep something alive. But now, if that were the case, 
we start thinking, oh, heaven, it's just somewhere, I don't know, uh, maybe to the right of the Crab Nebulae. Um, you know, well, there's the archer and there's the, maybe there. But God's like, how about if I just stick it, boom, right here in between the seas and the clouds? And I start to think how close God must be to his creation, to this thing that it's going to end up at the apex, the tip of the mountain at the end of this chapter. And God's like, I don't want to put something way out there. Imagine it's like God says, oh, you know what? I love you. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to be with you. And then you stay here in England and I'm going to go move to Thailand. <laughs> So we could be close. And you're missing a point in this. God's like, look it. How about I make a place where I can be so close that you're not even sure if I'm next to you or not? And I start to think, wow, this is a different God than I've already given him credit for. Because this is a God who seems to have an awful lot of fun making stuff. And he hasn't even gotten to the one thing he really can't wait to make yet. I mean, he's going to have to wait five days for it. I mean, let's not add billions of years to that, for goodness sakes. God was in a hurry to do this. So when we have this sort of second statement now. You ready? Haya. You say, Haya? Oh, boy, that was terrible. Haya. The Kia. To the Kia. Haya. The Kia. Haya. The Kia. To get it. That was enough. And what he was saying was, firm and be, let's do it. Boom, let's stick it. There we go. And I'm going to stay there. Now, second day, first day, what God made was time. The second day, what God makes is his home. A place where he's, can, he's like, there he is. He's just going to make it. He's like, I want to make something right here. But I'm going to stay right here. He'll never sit in the front row again. And, you know, it's like, I just can't wait till you see what I'm going to put here. But this is going to be my spot. It's going to be my spot. And I start to think, wait a minute, this reminds me of my own children when we're going to see a movie they can't wait to see. I mean, it's like when we set up the room, there's that one chair, boom, you know. Okay, ready. Where's my popcorn? I'm ready. You know, they're just, they can't wait because this is the place, this is it. This is the one spot. You watch the guy that's sweet on the girl, and he knows that she's going to come in, and this is her favorite seat, and if she can always get it, that's the seat on the bus she's going to take, and it's going to be right there, and he's just like... He just can't wait because he's going to put himself as close to that thing as possible because that's what he wants, right? Exactly how do you see God? Contractually obligated to hang out with you? Tolerating you? I haven't even gotten through the third day of creation. And I kind of get the idea that there's this excited God who just can't wait to be with you. Do you get this guy? He called the firmament heaven. Evening and morning. Notice again, not morning and evening. Evening and morning. We're at day two. Day three. Let's start picking this up again. But there was one thing I do have to to make note of. Because look at this, for what it's worth. In chapter one, because we're not going farther than that, of course, today. It says that God saw things and they were good. He looked, verse four, he saw the light was good. Verse 10, God saw the seas. They were good. Verse 12, God saw, and it was good. Verse 18, God saw, and it was good. Verse 21, God saw, and it was good. Every day but one, God's going to see, and it wasn't good. What one day isn't, it's day two. 
There's something that was strange about that. Something about this place where he's living at this point, he doesn't call good yet. There's something missing. Yeah. And I start to think, wow, how come God, I mean, he looks at plants, he looks at water, he looks at things, he goes, that's good, light, ooh, that's good. He looks at, you know, uh, an armadillo, he goes, that's good. <laughs> you know? He looks at stars, that's good. He makes heaven, and he's there, and he's kind of, imagine, he makes heaven, and it's like, there's two chairs. And he sits in one, and he goes, hmm, I better get to some more creating. Oh, wait a minute. Another 100,000 years. Do you really think so? Do you think he's tired? Do you think this is like, man, I tell you, saying things like light be, that really takes it out of you. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered. Now remember, there's two waters now. There's this waters above and there's this waters below. And somewhere in between is where God is now. And he's hanging out there and he looks and he goes... Let's start getting some fun. Let's have some fun with this stuff. Let the waters be gathered together in one place. And then, where the places where there isn't water, we'll make it dry land. Aretz, the word we get in verse 1. And God called the land earth. Aretz. And he gathered together the waters and he called those seas. And God said, hmm. By the way, here's a word. Tov. Can you say tov? Tov is good. There you go. Someone says, how are you? You say, how are you? You say, tov, if you're good. Um, now, with that, verse 11, God said, now let the earth... And then I start going, well, wait a minute, there's something I'm missing in all of this. Why is God even saying it? Why doesn't just God, God just go, light. There's my house. Could have, couldn't he? Why does God speak it and then tell us later, who's he even talking to? Himself, Perhaps. Could it just be so that at least we, who aren't exactly the most brilliant creature on the planet, um, that if nothing else, we could look at this and we could kind of go, well, if God actually spoke it, he must have actually had a plan with a pretense and forethought and all this. This wasn't like a plan B or God was just sort of whipping it all up, hoping it explodes into something cool. But God actually had a plan in all of this. This was actually all part of God's script. And if he's saying it, we kind of get the idea. And the only example that I can really comes to my mind was playing billiards. I guess growing up in the kind of environment I came in, because there were two kind of guys that made a lot of shots. There was the guy that actually just hit it as hard as he could, and they, they bounced around it, and occasionally something came in, and they were like, I meant to do that. You know those kind of guys? And they kind of live their life like that. They just kind of hit everything really hard. I meant to do that. You know? And you're kind of like, no, you didn't. That ball didn't hop over that thing, hit a guy in the side of the head, roll down his arm under this thing, hit this thing. Wow, that was brilliant how you made that happen. And then with the guy's like, okay, I'm going to hit this ball into this one, and it's going to do this, and it's going to do that. And that's the guy when he makes it in, you go, wow, that guy's really good. And God goes, yeah, you know what? It's like, okay, hold on one second. And he's, he's kind of like, you know, I'm not just going to smack this, these atoms in and hope that something kind of lands in a pocket. Because I'm going to do everything with an intent and forethought. Because all of this is going to end up with my character at the end of this particular chapter. And I don't want you to miss that. So I'm just setting the stage. God said, let the waters of the heaven be gathered together. And he did. Let it bring forth, verse 11. He called the dry land earth, he called it good. Then God said, let the, dry earth, or let the earth bring forth grass that yields forth seed, and fruit that yields forth fruit according to its 
kind. Very important thing. And this is one of those things, by the way, for what it's worth, is if God knew, wow, how strange is that, that someone's going to come up with some really cockamamie idea that basically a monkey turns into a human. Started with like a little thing that looked like snot, that kind of grew into something that grew gills, that grew fins, that grew legs, that grew hair, stood up erect, up erect, and then ultimately one day wrote the dictionary, or you know, the first folio, or whatever. And God says, let me just tell you what it says in this. At least, for what it's worth, ten different times in this chapter, we'll read a According to its kind. That means that this is going to sound strange, but if it was a poodle, it gave birth to a poodle. It's its own kind. If it was a kumquat, it gave birth, in essence, to a kumquat. It wasn't like one day there was this ape and kind of pushing, and out came this thing. It's like, hey, excuse me, I'm sorry. If I made you. Is there a haberdashery in this year? And it was these kind of things like, and there's just, God says, it's all according to its kind. Get it. And I realized if I just read scripture and someone kind of said, well, all I think, because I'm brilliant and you're stupid, that blah, 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 I start going, wow, well, God said this. And he made this, and you were catching up with this scripture, and you aren't getting all this yet. Hmm. Maybe God's the smarter one? I mean, here's, think about this. What someone is saying is, I believe that I came out of a monkey, and, and, and I'm just like kind of a, a bunch of accidents, a bunch of happenstance things, and I'm just some sort of breathing tissue. And I'm like, well, then why would I even listen to you? You can't be that smart. You were an accident to start with. My God had no accidents in this. It wasn't like God went, oh, and then the third day God said, whoops. Gathered all this together. He said, it's good. Let's be according to its kind. Grass, according to its kind. Fruit yields fruit according to its kind. God saw it was good. If it happens and it happens just the way like that, it's orderly. And God says it's according to its kind. Evening and morning, the third day. And I realized on the third day, you know what God made? He made my home. And he made my home for what it's worth with a full cupboard. Don't miss that. I mean, the second day God made his home and then he's there already. And on the third day, he makes my home, the place where I'm going to walk around, where you're going to walk around. And he makes it full of fruit and things to eat because God will ultimately say, that's that's your cupboard. And you realize God had already prepared for every need that I had before I even showed up into the scene. How cool is that for a thought? And I start to think, wow, if I gravitated to that concept from the beginning of this, I would start not really freaking out when I approach a need. I realize you seem to happen to know the need before I get there and provide for it before I I get there. I just have yet to discover it. And I'm freaking out as if somehow I have to let you know about something. Exactly. What am I doing? Verse 14. Oh, the angels are singing. <laughs> Obviously doing this right. All right. Verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night. Let them be a, for signs. Signs? Signs, by the way, is something that testifies, something that speaks, something that gives evidence. And God says, I'm going to make all of this because all of this ultimately is going to testify of how important you are. And it says, let them be for signs and seasons, days and years. Let those lights be in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was so. God made two great lights. And we can one for the day, the lesser one to rule the night. And he made stars also. And it says, And he set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and over the night. Strange. Scientists have to discover things like, whoa, tide comes from that? Seasons come from that? I mean, we all thought that the earth was flat at one point, except God. He actually talks about how he drew a circle in the face of the deep. Funny, everyone else is like, I think it's kind of like a crisp. And God says, funny, I drew it kind of like a circle. And people then later on go, whoa, we're brilliant. We're scientists. It's round. God says, that's what we started with here in this book. 
fully kind of think that the entire universe revolves around the sun. God says, actually, strangely enough, I'm going to put the sun in the beginning. It's going to rule the earth. It's going to actually move and control the earth. And the way that it rules will be for seasons. It will be for time. Everything will be. That's the way I'm going to put it all in. And God says, there you go. And all of a sudden, it takes thousands of years to people realize, wow, that's exactly like the scripture said. And God says, well, shouldn't it be? You and strangers, you can be brilliant in the end when everyone else comes to the conclusions you came to because you just read scripture and believed it. There's going to be one day where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know what? You beat the rush. You did it now. And people are like, you were right. You know. No. God said, let two great lights be, and so it was. Verse 17 says, God set him in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night. And it says, to divide the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good, and it was evening and, the, in the, um, evening and morning the fourth day. Let's get close to wrapping this up. Verse, we have day five and day six. Now, what has he made? He's made time. He's made his home. He's made my home with a stocked cupboard and he made a beautiful skyline for me to enjoy that will testify because it'll even tell us that the heavens declare the majesty of God, the glory of God and the firmaments is handiwork. Now it says this then in verse 20, actually, you know, it says this, God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth, the face of the firmaments of the heavens. God created great sea creatures, every living thing that moves, which in the waters abounded according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And then God did something revolutionary right here in verse 22. Notice it. For the first time, God makes something that actually walks on earth, and he blesses it. Now, it's interesting, because it seems to me that God makes stuff, and he likes to bless it. Hmm, this isn't a God that actually likes to curse it or put heavy labor on it or make it egregious. Actually, what we read is God makes something and he kind of likes to bless it. Now, what is the blessing, the first blessing in Scripture? According to this, it's fruitfulness, that it would have an effect on the rest of the world. God blessed it, said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters of the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. Wait a minute, even the seabirds, they have to multiply on earth? We didn't know that. Birds flew all over the place. We just thought they kind of did that. Well, wait a minute, God says, actually, we'll have it happen on earth. And they go, wow, strange, that actually happens on earth. God says, I actually said it here in chapter 1. You got that, right? He saw that it was good, and he blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. So there was evening and morning on the fifth day. Now, up to this point, here's God. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. And it is, it is, it is, it is. And you can just still see there's an empty seat next to him. And it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. That's good, that's good, that's good. This isn't so good yet, but this is good. Because what he's setting up is a place where he gets to walk with this thing he wants to make. Let's get to that last day, shall we? Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind. Sixth dimension of it. Creeping cattle, I'm sorry, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth according to its kind. That's number seven. And so it was. God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. That's number eight. And every creeping thing, I should say, I'm sorry, according to its kind, cattle according to its kind. Number nine. And everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. Funny, God actually gives us this crescendo of according to its kind. And where does he do it? With mammals. Do you find that a little interesting? He's like, by the way, in case you weren't getting all the other times with the seed and the plants and the fruit and all these other things and birds and all that, monkeys, according to their kind. Baboons, according to their kind. It breathes. It's got hair, according to its kind. Four different times in this particular verse, or these two verses, he's going to say, by the way, or five times in these two verses, he's going to go, look it, according to its kind, did you get it? 
In case somebody tries to tell you something else, this is my view. You're going to agree with me sooner or later, so try now. And it says then, God saw that it was good. And I think, okay, now wait a minute. All creation now is going to apex at this point. And should I stop here? No, probably not. Verse 26. So God said, let us. Us. Who's us? Him and the armadillos? Him and the baboons? Him and those albatross? Him and the dodo? Oh, huh. Let us make man in our own image. Let him have dominion according to our likeness. Let him have dominion. Wait a minute. In Scripture, I'm going to be on a quest again. Well, this is strange. I'm made in the image of an us. This Elohim, that's plural, that everyone goes, well, that's plural, but it's really singular. Funny, because it's an us by verse 26. And that us, and we don't read anywhere that I'm made in the image of an angel, that I'm made in the image of a comquat, I'm made in the image of a flying bird, or I'm made in the image of, no, contrary to what Marvel Comics might try to make people look at, I'm made in the image of one thing according to Scripture, and that is God. And so God is an us, and God is this really strange little board meeting. Up to this point, God says, let there be, there, let there be, let there be, let there be, and there is. And all of a sudden, God almost sort of sits down, and he's like, hmm. And I was thinking, why don't we make man like us? I start thinking, well, this is strange because, number one, it's a board meeting, some form of communication that doesn't necessarily have to take place. If God already knows everything, imagine the conversation. If this was the Father and Jesus, hey, son, hey, dad, you know what I was thinking? Jesus is like, of course I do, dad, I'm God too, but go ahead and tell me anyways, just so that we can write it down later. Well, I was thinking we should make something. Well, we'll just keep the conversation going, well, what? Well, we should make man. For For what it's worth, the word man is the word Adam, the word we get, Adam. It's the word that's used here in the Hebrew. I was thinking we should make an Adam. Okay, well, really, well, what do you think we should make it like, Dad? I think we should make it like us. Wow, that's really cool. Dad, you're the best. You are too, son. Yeah, well, what do you think? Should we do this? Yeah, let's go ahead. Oh, by the way, let's make sure this whole thing is recorded and somebody writes it down oh, sometime later so that people in England in 2011 can read it in a nursery. You know, I think, well, what a brilliant place to start Genesis. Because God's like, could we just do this in a way that everyone gets it? Including me. Let's make him our... Okay, wait, two words. Salam and Dumuth. Salam, image, Dumuth, likeness. Every Hebrew word, for what it's worth, comes from a verb. And the Hebrew word for, for image, in essence, means to cast a shadow. The word for likeness, in essence, means to bear a resemblance. Now, the idea is really quite simple. Something unique about God is implanted into man so that something unique about man, when I find out what that unique thing is about man, I'll go, hmm, that's going to teach me that thing unique about God. Interesting, for what it's worth, it tells us this. Let's make man in our own image, according to our own likeness. Let him have dominion over the birds of the sea, over the, uh, the uh, birds of the air, I'm sorry, fish of the sea, over every cattle, over everything of the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. Two more times we read the term image. Did you get the image part? By the way, image, did you miss this? You were made in his image. By the way, in the image of God, he made you. Did you get the point, the image thing? And he's like, get that through. This is kind of important. When God repeats himself, it isn't because God stutters. It's because we are thick and we don't get it. And he goes, the image thing. That's what you want to get. The image thing. Did you get all of this? Because up to this point, I did, it was, I did, it was, I did, it was, I did, it was. I look, mm, that's not really good. I did, it was, I did, it was. But the image thing. Did you get the image thing? Did you get the image thing? By the way, did you get the image thing? 
Hmm. Because I'm going to make man in a way that something about man is going to help me learn something about God. Oh, okay. So now I'm on a quest. My quest is, why is heaven not so good yet? Because it was the one thing he said it wasn't good yet, or he hasn't said it's good yet. And why is this weird little board meeting taking place that I really didn't need to be a part of, or did I, because he recorded it? And then all of this, why is man made so unique? And what's the unique thing about man? Well, you're not going to get it today, because <laughs> it's in chapter 2. But we read this in verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Hey, that was the same blessing he gave to the other mammals, wasn't it? But there's something else on it too. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. So all of a sudden, man kind of gets to be the overseer of this creation. Wow. Is this, when they go, well, was this the unique thing? I mean, after all, all of a sudden, it's like God hands the keys to the building to us, man. But it can't be. Because this is not, in property or position, something that casts a shadow. It has to be something in character. There's something about the character of man that God created unique in such a way that I'll learn about the character of God. That's a bit tough, because I'm not getting it here just because he got the keys. So then it says, God said, I've given you, no, notice verse 29, every herb that yields seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree that yields forth fruit, and it shall be for your food. Now, wait a minute. Are you telling me that the original men were vegetarians? And I will say, well, yes, I did. But I will say this. It doesn't say what that fruit tasted like. I mean, I imagine, this is just me because of where I come from, but we do live in a fallen world, that he could have bit into a fruit and it tastes like Thai food. But that's just me. I don't know. God knows. I do know this, though. When we get to chapter 2, which is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, we get to actually see how the scene, because up to this point, what we get is God's sitting on a chair and making stuff, if you will, making stuff, making stuff, making stuff, so that ultimately this, the play begins in chapter 2. What we have today is we're just setting the scene. The stage is being lit. As the stage is being lit, we're starting to see props. As we start to see props, we start to see intent. We don't have any conflict yet, or do we? We have this weird thing about heaven not necessarily being so great yet, and man having this, well, he's he's going to be somehow unique, and I'm going to learn about God in it. And in the end of it all, he says, look it, I'm going to give you everyone, anything that grows, which means everything you eat sustainable, because no matter when you bite into it, it's going to grow back. That's part of the fun of it. And by the way, then I start to think, well, wait a minute. Why did God even have to invent something like that in the first place? I mean, God didn't have to give you taste buds, but he did. He could have just said, I command you to eat or die. But instead, he gave us taste buds to enjoy this thing that keeps us alive. Isn't that a bit strange? What kind of God is your God? My God's a God who loves, well, tells us that he gives us all things for us to enjoy. He's a God who takes delight in those who delight in him. And all of a sudden, I look at the last verse. Verse 31, and it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was, well, I meant tov mo'od. Very good. So wait a minute. It's good, it's good, it's good. Well, it's not mentioned as good yet. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. For the first time, all of a sudden, now God's like, now it's really good. Well, what happened to make it really good? Well, somebody else entered onto the scene. That was Adam. 
don't miss this. By the time we get with this chapter, at the end of it all, God's like laid out all these cool little pieces. And it's kind of like, now I just can't wait to see who's going to walk onto the stage first and start acting and speaking and the blocking and how it's going to play into the parts and how it's going to play into the creation and, and the set and the scenery and the mood and the backdrop. Because all of it now I'm staring at the stage with you. And as I look at the stage, I'm still waiting for someone to step on it. And God now finally looks and he goes, oh, this is good. This is real good. I go, hmm, that thing that seemed to be unsatisfied somewhere in the middle of this now is satisfied. And God goes, wait till you see how it plays out now in in text. And that's where we get to chapter 2. In chapter 1, as we lay this out, this is my conclusion as we close this and pray. Somewhere in this, God created. And as God created, He created by speaking, though he didn't have to, but he did, so that we could know that everything he did had an intent. This whole thing ends up with this big crescendo, this apex, the tip of the mountain, the sort of everything that it revolves around, and this thing that it revolves around happens to be a man named Adam. This is it, and somehow once he appears on this whole thing, and he ends up now written into the script, everything seems to be better. And I start to go, now how do I fit into this? Somehow I fit into this as being the guy. Because I'm his creation, and I realize in Scripture there's only one thing he calls his masterpiece, and it's not the crab nebulae, it's not those really cool fish with the things that look like marquee, you know, that are like, you know, the we're just discovering now because we could finally get things to handle the pressure that deep in the water, and, and all this guy goes, the one thing that's beautiful that I love, I can't take my eyes off of, is you. That's the thing. I created everything else for us. You ever been in love and you want the perfect date? And you know the restaurant, you know the food, you know the flowers, you know the songs to play. And if you're anything like me, because I'm kind of a Rome builder, and you kind of just want the whole thing set up and you just wait. She's going to show up, man. And when she shows up, she's going to hear a song. She's going to see her flowers. She's going to get her food. It's going to be great. And, you, and, and, if you were to, and if you've ever walked by a guy and you know that's what's happening, there's a part of you that kind of smirks. You know, and, you, and there's a part of you, unless you're a, a horrible cynic and you've been really burned, in, in which case you're probably like that poor fool. But for the rest of us, we kind of look at it and go, boy, I hope she turns out to be as good as he's prepared it to be. Because what's clear is he spent his whole day thinking about, or should I say, he spent his whole week preparing for this date. This whole week, he set up the whole thing. God set up this beautiful date and he did it all. He even, even, I mean, think about it. He, he's like, well, he set up an orchestra. Well, what did it sound like? It sounded like birds. He grew a bouquet. He handed a bouquet. What did it look like? It looked like fields full of flowers. And there is God waiting. Here it is. It's going to happen. Chapter 2. Could you imagine this is how this book begins? Now, perhaps you're thinking, well, you really read into it. Well, maybe that's the way God made me. But what I can tell is, what it appears to me is that God is a beautiful, hopeful romantic. And there's one person left to fill this, and that's this person right here. And that's your name here. But hear me out. Ultimately, what Scripture is going to teach us is the reason we can't just sit here now is because what's going to happen in chapter 3, which is that we've now become faulty. We've been rebellious, and we owe Him. We owe Him the very breath He gave us. However, as God is an infinitely right and infinitely the right king. He has to punish all wrong. And the only way he can do that is by making sure that this your wrong gets paid, gets punished. And for your wrong to get punished, this seat remains empty. And God created this seat for you. If he created this seat for you, there's only one way to do it other than you pay it. And that is for someone to be perfect to take that spot.
Well, the only one qualified is Jesus, is God himself. And thus there's an us in this, as you realize, because here's the last thing. According to scripture, it tells us before the foundation of the world, before he made all of this, Christ had already been chosen to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's what Revelation teaches me twice. That there was already redemption. First Peter teaches me that. There was already a plan to redeem you because God was not going to make you to be in this seat and then not let you get there, at least without paying everything necessary but one thing, and that is demanding, is taking away your right to choose. Beloved, hear me out as we go to prayer now. Have you accepted the gift that God used to pay to get you next to him? Because the price he paid was the death of his only begotten son, Jesus the Christ, on the cross to pay for every wrong you ever have or will do. And in that, he rose from the grave to offer you a new life. And that new life is right here. And that's where you belong. Righteousness, dikaiosune in the Greek, simply means to be in the right place. Your right place is right here. And you won't be right with God until you're there. And the only way to get there to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for the gift of your word. I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful chapter and all the stuff you lay out in it. Oh God, I just pray as we prepare for chapter 2 and we see how the script begins. I am just so thankful that you've given us this. And Lord, I just pray that we would, every one of us, recognize where you made us to be and that you've made every provision for us to get there, and now you simply ask for us to make a choice. You demand we make a choice. Will we accept the gift of Jesus, your Son, as payment for our wrong, our sins, our filth, our, our grime? And in that then, to allow you to become the Lord and Savior and Master of our lives. But I say yes. I say yes to Jesus' death for me. I openly acknowledge you created me to be with you. That's my right place. That's where I belong. And I say yes. I say yes to your love. I say yes to your intent for my life. I say yes to your glorious romantic heart that wants so desperately to be intimate with me. God, take me over. And don't let me be someone who robs myself of everything you intended for me to be because I'm chasing after stupid things that have no purpose. When the creator of the universe is offering me intimacy, so I say yes. I say yes to Jesus' death for my payment. I say yes to his resurrection for that new life. And I say, have me. Make me your own. You made me to be yours. I want to be yours now. Have me, I pray. I am yours. And if you agree with this prayer, I ask you to say, Amen. Beloved, thank you so much for the privilege of being allowing me to sort of rant and carry on like this. It has been my honor and my privilege. I humbly ask for prayer. I take off from here and head to Russia for a pastor's conference. I'm real excited about that. But then listen, we get back on Thursday night, Friday morning. There are a few of us. We have a meeting with the chief of police for Camden to see how we could pray for him. So I appreciate your prayers for that as we uh, seek favor with the Lord on that and how we can be a blessing to him. But listen, don't forget, If you're interested, hunt down buildings for us. See what the Lord has for us. And I just really, really excited. You might say, well, what about this week? What about the studies? Every one of them goes on. Wednesday, we have a night of worship. Please be a part of it. Let's praise God together. Even if I'm going to be in Russia, singing in Russian or whatever, or acting like I am, um, one thing's for sure. I know this. God's going to do a really cool work. And thank you. Let's stand and we'll um, 
will dismiss. Lord, I just pray that we would allow you now just to take the simple truth of this chapter and apply it to our lives now. Let me we walk in the truth of this. Glorify yourself, we pray. You are a good and wonderful God. To you be all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints.